Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. Welcome to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and basis opinion. Today is September 19th, 2016. This is episode 181. I'm Scott Magnus. I'm here with my big boy, my color commentator, Jake English. You should be listening to us over at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com or by chance, baltimoresportsreport.com or maybe even baseballtalkradio.com or maybe you've chosen a third-party app platform to give your money to. You go ahead and do that. We're not going to judge you if you use Google Play Music or iTunes, but please, if you do so, give a rating uh, to the show um, and help to grow the listener base is the best way to put it. Check us out on social media at Facebook, Google+, Periscope, Snapchat, Instagram, Twitter, at Bird's Eye View BAL. By the way, Periscope. We haven't done a Periscope in a while. But later this week, we are going to be breaking out the Periscope again. Highly recommend you, you attend. I'm terrified. Highly recommended. I'm terrified. All right. With that, drink of the week, Jake. What are you doing this week? Scott, I'm not doing anything. What? I'm still trying desperately to dry out after your birthday celebrations at the yard the other night. Uh, no, I, I can't think about anything with hops in it right now. Hmm. So you, you take it away. What is your drink of the week? Jake, I am doing a Wallflower Floral Saison from uh, Falling Branch Brewery out of Street, Maryland. Picked up by a growler at the uh, local farmer's market in Bel Air this past Saturday. And how is it? Uh, it's actually really good. Um, I, I don't know much how longer I can you know, drink it because of the season. But this is a great um, close of summer beer is the best way to put it. I know you hate Saisons. Yeah, I'm but, not a Saison guy. I can't But it's, can't it. it's excellent. Um, a little bit of a hint of like peppercorn note. Kind of, kind of interesting. All right. It goes well with all the salt that's out there for Birdland right now. <laughs> and if you're uh, drinking along with us, please let us know. We're on Untapped. I'm at Jake E four zero two five, and Scott. I'm at M A G eight six zero six. With that, um, you want to go ahead and uh, dabble into the medical wing. Let's do it. All right, time for the medical wing. So um, a lot of notes here. Um, we were just talking about this a few weeks ago, saying we thought we were finally getting away from um, injuries galore. But uh, two notable injuries that basically have shut down players probably for the rest of the year. Uh, Steve Pierce with his uh, flexor mass strain. Um, is not quite Tommy, uh, Tommy John surgery. Injury. Not quite Tommy John surgery, but four to six month recovery time. Uh, he's done for the season, and uh, he'll be lucky to get back for spring training. Uh, it's a, I'm not saying that's a pretty big blow for the Orioles, um, but it's certainly a 
kicking the junk to a certain regard. And also it puts Steve Pierce in a bad position going into free agency this offseason as well. Um, Joey Rickard, who Buck had mentioned maybe being able to come back sometime in September, um, certainly doesn't seem like that's going to happen. Um, his thumb is not doing so well. Uh, it, it seems like they're just going to shut him down for the season and hope that he comes back um, like the typical Joey Rickard was um, at the beginning of last season, the beginning of this season. So uh, two outfielders down for the count. It's a good thing that I guess they went out and got Michael Bourne and Drew Stubbs. Yeah, it almost seems like they uh, they planned it. Maybe maybe the wrong outfielder for what they had planned, but it certainly doesn't hurt. Yeah. Also, not strictly in the medical wing, but we have a, a couple of uh, birth-related medical issues. Uh, the first is that Wade Miley is about to go out on paternity leave as he's expecting a child or his wife is expecting a child. And Daryl Alvarez, an outfielder in the Orioles minor league organization, uh, unavailable for promotion because his wife's actually having complications with her pregnancy. So, uh, of course, our best wishes to the Alvarez family, but uh, poor timing, certainly, because he probably would have been uh, the next guy up. All right. And... Um I think that's pretty much into the medical wing. At least Aaron O'Day came back on Sunday, so that's a positive. Um, yeah, and, and it looks like Tillman's arm didn't fall off with his uh, with his starts, so he he looks all the way back as well. All right, well, two positives, I guess. We'll take it with two absolutely huge negatives, and we'll go from there. Uh, you want to go to 140 characters or less? This week on the Twitters. First, you know, I mentioned, Scotty, that this week was your birthday. Grand old time. Happy birthday, my friend. But, uh, well, your birthday just didn't do it for me. The Orioles came away in the loss column, and I wasn't going to say anything, but that doesn't mean that listener to the program, good show, uh, good friend of the show, Chris Maurer, who tweets at MaurerFTW, uh, tweeted as follows, at Bird's Eye View BAL, I don't want to accuse the Orioles of playing favorites, but they did win on my birthday. Ouch. So Chris, that hurts. happy birthday, and uh, thanks for holding up your end of the bargain with the Orioles. You know who is also um, keeping up their end of the bargain? Bob up there end of the bargain. It's Steven Adams. You can follow him at, at Steven P Adams. Uh, his pun game is extremely strong this week. Trumbo is back. Pun intended. Bravo. See, Bravo. I see what he, I, I see where he, he was going. Yes. All right. Next, uh, we've got something that I think is going to go into the best of buck part two. Well, whenever they do that video, this is a tweet from rock Baco tweets at mass and rock buck on Hardy. Uh, what was that movie with Tom Cruise and Renee Zellweger about completing somebody? He kind of completes our infield. Wow, I like it. I like it. It's a good. It's a good solid reference. So we're going to go with this next one as guilty as charged. This comes from Alex Conway. You can follow him at Alex Conway CC. He writes for Camden Chat. This game is well attended, so at least you guys can shut up about that for a night. Yeah, yeah. Yep. guilty, guilty as charged, guilty as charged. Yep. Lastly, here's a tweet from good friend Matt Taylor. Who tweets at Roar from thirty four. Hey, at Bird's Eye View Bayl, that game was fire emoji, fire emoji, fire emoji. Of course, a reference to Scott's... I, I, I guess uh, Matt doesn't have the iPhone. This is the best way I can <laughs> determine this. I, I think he was just so impressed with your, uh, with your uh, reading of the emojis last weekend. Listen, if someone else can tell me a better way to describe fire emoji on a podcast, please inform me how to do so. <laughs> it's all I'm asking. All right. Anything else going on in terms of the in terms of the twat or anything? Oh, there is a lot going on in the Twitters, particularly here on Monday night as the Orioles play the Red Sox. But I think we should leave it there right now. And you know, I'm I'm uh, referencing the fact that there are some folks grumbling on the Twitters right now. But Scott, there have been folks grumbling all season.
All right. So the one thing I wanted to talk about coming coming into this is um, there's a lot of folks within Berlin. We've talked about it with the whole attendance thing. And folks have quickly pointed out that, well, the Orioles are just not a very good team. Regardless of the standings, regardless of their place right now in terms of you know being in a wild card spot, they just don't have that offensive prowess in order to basically be a really good team. It's as simple as that. All they do is hit home runs and strike out a lot. That is all they do. They can't score runs at you know opportune times. It's that hitting inefficiency at the worst time and not being able to get that clutch hit. And folks continue to point to this as a reason why this team isn't that good, along with several other fallacies. So we're going to call this this kind of segment, you know, offensive fallacies that maybe the the common fan were to bring up. So I, I went through and I looked at the numbers in terms of where the Orioles stand right now in terms of runners in scoring position. So they've got a 266 batting average, which is 11th in MLB, a 99 weighted runs created plus, 15th in Major League Baseball. Uh, a 22.4 uh, K percentage, which is pretty much right where they are on a season of being a high strikeout team. Um, but here's some points that I like to make. 25 sack flies, which is 26 in Major League Baseball. And runs created, which is basically looking at the metric of saying, you know, if it's in this position, um, how many runs were created based off of a single or a double. Uh, the Orioles are all the way down at 27th at 152.9. So, um, it, it certainly looks like, yes, the Orioles have struggled with runners in scoring position. But Jake, I ask you, how big of a deal should we make about this topic? Uh, well, I think your question comes down to where are they in the standings? Right. You you alluded to the fact that this is a winning team. And what you just presented is some not impressive stats. But even if it's ugly, I'm not sure that I care. Yeah, I, I think it comes down to... You know, overall, if you look at the batting averages and you look at the way to runs created plus, it's kind of like that's really not that bad, all things considering. Um, I, I think when you look at it, you know, the Orioles at the first half of the season were one of the best teams in all Major League Baseball uh, with runners in scoring position. In the second half, they definitely have dovetailed down. Um, and perhaps you've almost seen a regression to the mean where maybe this is where they're expecting it to be. But I would also come back and point out. Uh, the 2013 Orioles were um, the best in baseball with hitting with runners in scoring position. And that team did, you know, very well. Um, oh, wait. They didn't get to the playoffs that year. Oh, imagine that. Yeah. And here's the thing. Uh, in the short game. Right. This team can be tough to watch. Yeah. And I, I always talk about Adam Jones this way. You know, Adam Jones is really frustrating to watch. Because he flails at pitches that absolutely shouldn't be done. You know, he never walks. When he gets out, it looks ugly. And so you watch those Adam Jones at bats in clutch moments and say, oh, I can't believe he's done it again. And then you look at the end of the season and he's done what? You know, he's batted, what, 280? He's hit about 25 to 30 home runs. He's driven in a bunch of runs. All of the uh, more intelligent stats match the the, the uh, performance. And you realize, oh, Actually, you know, looking at his total body of work, he was actually really good this season. Right. But in the moment, it sucks to watch. And I think that that's the thing that we all, you know, myself included, get wrapped up in. And I almost wonder if Orioles fans are riding the lows more than they're riding the highs. Yeah, I I think that's really what it comes down to. 
Um, there's actually a, a great article that is written written about this because I think we always hear uh, announcers talking about this in terms of, well, the Orioles are scoring, you know, going 0 for 8 and with runners in scoring position. And I think that's really important from a series standpoint. But over the entire season, honestly, hitting with runners in scoring position doesn't matter. So if you actually look at correlation between wins and, you know, regular statistics, whether it be weighted runs created plus or WOBA or anything like that, in terms of weighted runs created plus, there is a correlation between wins and weighted runs created plus of 0.4302, which is decent correlation. Again, one is perfect correlation, zero is no, no correlation. Um, in terms of um, batting average um, and scoring and, and basically getting wins uh, with runners in scoring position, batting average uh, with runners in scoring positions correlation is only 0.1427 for wins. Again, not a great correlation compared to weighted runs created plus. And again, it makes sense. If you hit a ball and it's a home run or you hit a double or you hit a triple and a guy scores, it's a lot more valuable even if someone's at first base than if it is runners in scoring position. Sure, it's great to get those runners in from second and third. But in reality, the overall correlation comes back to um, the run scored over the entire offense is much more important. I also broke it down and looked at to see how much of a significant impact did runs scored from runners in scoring position have for the majority of teams. And it came out to be like 30% of all of offense. So there's still another 70% in terms of home runs and hitting with someone on first base where you're getting those additional runs as well. So again, runners in scoring position, it's an important factor but it's not the only factor that should be considered. I think the larger sample size of the entire offense makes a lot more sense. And, you know, one of the the chief complaints is, well, they don't hit well with runners in scoring position. And even if that's true, that would be a real cause for concern if this team didn't do something else very well. And that's hit the long ball. Right. Now, there'll be people that point out, and this is fallacy number two, that the Orioles rely too heavily on the home run and the good teams do not rely on the home run to the degree that the Orioles do. So I, I went to an old baseball prospectus article that I really enjoy, um, and they basically attributed this kind of uh, topic when the Chicago White Sox um, basically won the World Series in 2005, and they were talking about, oh, well, you know, the White Sox are a small ball team. All they do is play small ball, similar to the Kansas City Royals. But if you look at the numbers, the White Sox at that time still relied on the long ball. 41.3% of their runs came from the long ball. So I wanted to look and see where do the Orioles stand right now in terms of Major League Baseball. We call this the Gian number, by the way, in terms of <laughs> baseball perspectives, which I think is a great terminology. So the Orioles rank second right now in baseball with 51.3%, six, 51.36% of their runs coming via the home run, which is a lot. Let's let's be admitted. That's definitely in the upper percentile. But the Nationals are right there too at number 1, 53.16 and then fifth is the Jays at 46.47. What's really interesting to me is I remember sitting down at FanFest this past year um and Dan Duquette was talking about, you know, in order to compete in the AL East, you have to be able to hit the long ball. And it was really amazing going through the past 5 years and looking at the top teams that had the largest differences between home runs uh, to equating for their runs and the teams that you would expect were there. The Red Sox were there. The Yankees were there. Um, the Blue Jays were there. So yes, it does kind of appear like you do have to hit the home run ball um, in order to stay competitive because that's the easiest way to score runs in the American League East, especially with 
the park dimensions and the short porches that we've talked about in the past. Well, yeah, and that's what I wanted to ask you is that, you know, you're going to play 81 games at home and then you're going to play a huge chunk of your schedule in the same other four parks. And, you know, at least three of them are band boxes, including, you know, Cannon Yards. So why not? Right. Why not set yourself up to to play most of your schedule in a way that is more than likely going to score you runs? Sure. And this gets back to the whole team dynamics thing of people often criticize this team saying, man, they strike out a ton and they don't get on base. And it's like, yeah, but they hit home runs. And it's like, well, I wish they could not strike out as much. And I wish they had a high on base. And I wish they could hit home runs. I was like, well, if they could do that, <laughs> they would be an MVP type player like Mike Trout. So do you want a whole team of Mike Trouts? Because I certainly would like a whole team worth of Mike Trouts if I could have them. Is this not a video game? Is that um, not how this works? This is not how it works. All right. There is an aspect of if you're looking for power, more times than not, that comes with a higher strikeout rate. Huh. Yeah, because I thought I could just max everything to ninety nine and and be be fine. Yeah, but I, I wanted to also pull out another statistic. Um, most people would come back and say, I mean, actually, there was a great tweet uh, quote from Steve Molesky when we got to the two thousand fourteen playoffs, where Steve Molesky was talking about when the Orioles go into the playoffs. Since they're such a home run rich team, they're going to struggle because October baseball doesn't really help itself to the long ball. It gets colder, the long ball goes away, and runs become at a premium. And to a certain regard, he's right. Runs definitely become um, uh, much less. Like, for example, during the regular season, you're going to be anywhere between four and a half to five runs per game. And during the playoffs, that'll normally drop at least a half to potentially one run per game. But I would come back and argue. Coming back to the Gian number, teams that were, let's say, more reliant on the home run had a Gian number of above 40.1. Those teams saw a decrease of um, runs per game of 22.4%. Teams that were less reliant on the on the home run, 33%, um, actually saw a similar decrease, 26.5%. So again, it's not like, oh, the home run's gone. We're going to see less runs here from this home run team. You know, runs become a premium no matter what because managers basically leverage and use their bullpen to their best advantage well and you don't usually face a fourth and fifth starter in the playoffs right the pitching caliber is much higher in the playoffs because the teams that are there are pretty good and you're only facing their top what three pitchers yep i mean it it does not take a rocket scientist to to see that the pitching matchups just as have you as you have indicated are used so highly in addition to getting, you know, probably good starts from your best starters. Right. And there's one more thing I want to talk about, just kind of in terms of the strikeout aspect, which is um, people will come back and say, well, if the Orioles are going to shift themselves into a team where it's just going to be boom or bust, or as Derek Arnold likes to put, dongs and angst, you know, <laughs> once they get into the playoffs, um, those big power hitters are going to get exposed and they're going to strike out um, a lot more. And they're not going to hit those home runs. Well, that's not technically the true. Russell Carlton basically did an article in 2013, and he basically showed that these power hitters have a tendency to walk more and actually have hit more home runs during the playoffs um, than they normally do during the regular season. Because, again, they are much more reflective and showing better plate discipline because they realize how high the stakes are at that moment. So they're just not just going up there and saying, eh, I'm just going to go ahead and swing. They're being very selective of looking for the right pitch is the best way to describe it because they realize how few the opportunities are. So uh, I, I think it's really interesting that people uh, are looking at a game and saying, oh, the Orioles are an aggressive team and they just are going to strike out or hit home runs. And in reality, that's not such a bad thing going to the playoffs. In fact, all the numbers indicate that it's no worse 
than a team that plays small ball during the playoffs or during the regular season as well. And so if I'm parsing out here what you're saying, you're not saying that this is, you know, the 27 Yankees and it's no. the best team, you know, ever to to see the major leagues. But if I'm if I'm hearing you correctly, you're saying that we need to take a chill pill. Everyone kind of needs to take a chill pill and it comes back to what I've always talked about. If the Orioles get into the playoffs, it is a total crapshoot at that point. Like any team can win at that point, which comes back to my Offensive fallacy, final topic, final point, number three, which is this team is not hitting right now, and it's going to show up in October. So over the past week, Orioles hitters have a 218 batting average, a 275 on-base percentage, 70 weighted runs created plus. In short, Jake, they've been awful. In fact, um, they may have had their worst week offensively, but over the past month, they've been pretty poor as well. Um, 96 weighted runs created plus, um, 20.7 K, uh, K rate, and a eight uh, walk rate, which actually is not that bad. But the Orioles over the entire season have posted a 102 weighted runs created plus. So they're definitely down this month is the best way to describe it. And this past week has been pretty abysmal, all things considering for the offense. Now, they've managed to stick in there with some really solid pitching. But I think we all know that this team is going to live or die by their offense. And if their offense is acting in this fashion, well, then clearly, you know, October is going to be doom and gloom. I'm sensing you're going to tell me something else. Yeah, the problem is, and it comes back to what I've talked about before, which is every single time someone says momentum is everything, you know, momentum carries teams into the playoffs and and basically will determine who's going to be so good. It never is the case. Um, Team performance over the final week, two weeks, three weeks, month of the season, even the second half of the season really never mattered. Um, uh, Jay Jaffe of uh, Baseball Prospectus and SI has looked at this before um, back in 2009. Uh, Dave Cameron of Fangrass has looked at this in terms of win percentages in the second half. Again, it doesn't really matter what happens, you know, leading up and going into the playoffs. It matters what happens when you get into the playoffs. It matters of who gets lucky with the BABIP, who makes contact with the ball. And, you know, the more balls that you can put in play, the better off you're going to be. So, again, maybe that's the Achilles heel of Orioles where they don't put the ball in play as often. But, again... Performance at this moment in this week, even if the Orioles were to get swept by the Red Sox, it's not going to dictate what happens in the playoffs. So you're telling me that uh, the Orioles got, what, 13 games left? Uh, the Orioles have 13 games left as of Monday night. All right, so they got 13 games left, and what you're telling me is that this next 13 games doesn't have a ton to do with how they would play in the playoffs if they make it. That is correct. It will not project anything what's going in the playoffs. Simple as that. But it's, I mean, at some point, the regular season has to tell you something about what this team is, right? Oh, you're absolutely right. At some point, if you look at the entire season, it should tell you, this is a good team, here are its weaknesses, and here are its strengths. And but so, anything and so can happen. From from the entire season, what I can tell you is this team is one of the top six in the AL, as bears out by the record. Right, exactly. So again... There are. It's obviously a top ten offensive team. Um, it's obviously a meh, if not below average, pitching staff is the best way to describe it. But if you look at it compared to the rest of the league um, that they're going to go against in the playoffs, they have an equal chance as any other to basically take down these teams. Um, again, it's just going to be a question of who's hitting at the right time. Came down to the same situation against the Detroit Tigers. There's no way in the world during the 2014 series season a series that you would have told me, yep, the Orioles are going to go in and they're going to sweep the Tigers. Nothing made sense about that from a statistical standpoint. And then once they went and swept the Tigers, 
there was no way you could have told me that they were going to go lay an egg against the Royals. Exactly. I mean, the ups and downs of trying to predict what's going to happen for baseball from a momentum standpoint and everything like that, there's no such thing as momentum in baseball. It's just a matter of each and every game is going to be different, and um, you just basically see what happens in those given games. And to a certain aspect, it's luck. So what I'm hearing you say is... It's almost like it's a sport. <laughs> what a, a game of chance. A game of chance, yes. What I'm hearing you say is that when I talk and and try to make it sound like I know what I'm talking about, that I know nothing. Yes. We are pulling back the curtain after five years. You're realizing now that we're basically just making this up the whole time. And um, yeah, you've wasted five years of your life, folks. Well, Scott, your words wound me. Wow. But I think there are greater enemies that face Birdland than you and your sharp criticisms. Scotty, this past series with the Tampa Bay Rays got me to thinking about Evan Longoria. I mean, he's really, really good. He's a he's a really good baseball player. He is a very good-looking baseball player. <laughs> and uh, I don't know, maybe it's my imagination, but I kind of feel like he owns the Orioles. All right, so I pulled up the numbers. Uh, he's got a two sixty six average, a three thirty four on on-base percentage, five twenty seven slugging percentage, and an eight sixty one OPS. So I'd say pretty Evan Longoria-ish numbers. Like, I wouldn't say that's like absolutely destroying us but i'd say that's pretty typical for evan langoria across his entire career this series was a was a pretty good indication anytime we got burned by the rays and that doesn't always happen and over the the course of his career certainly in that team that hasn't happened all the time but i feel like whenever we get burned by the rays it's evan langoria and yet somehow i don't hate this guy i don't grind and gnash my teeth whenever he's at the plate when he's rounding the bases on yet another home run, I don't think to myself, ah, I hate this guy. Instead, I think, eh, it's Longoria. He's going to do that to you sometimes. It's almost like he's a really good player. Yeah. What do you think accounts for that? I mean, what, what, what makes the difference between him and, and some other players that do really well against the Orioles? I, I think, admittedly, some of it has to do with the fact that he's on the Tampa Bay Rays and where that team has been in the standings both this season and you know, the remainder of their existence. There was a brief period in 2012 and 2013 where I felt like the the Orioles and the Rays stood in each other's way as far as being in fringes of playoff contention was concerned. But by by and large, the Rays don't matter. And so Longoria doesn't matter. And yes, series like the ones we just experienced are annoying, but they're not really enough to get our blood boiling. So Longoria goes from being a candidate for you know, a, a really hated player here in Baltimore to just being a good player that we happen to see a lot. So, if not a guy like Longoria, who is enemy number one? Well, it's got to be David Ortiz, right? Oh, yeah, it has to be. It has to be David Ortiz. I feel like for a while there, it was Jose Bautista. Yeah. Um, But I, I guess that's where the majority of the ire of Baltimore is, is pointed. But there is a change of the guard scheduled that's true see as david ortiz slowly trots off into the sunset god he was so slow tonight <laughs> as he slowly trots off in the sunset into the warm embrace of his ego uh we also have to deal with the fact that jose bautista is also entering the twilight years of his baseball career and he will still have the ability to hit mistake pitches and hit them a far far away 
But I think the father time is going to make him a much less hateable player in the near future. You also had Mark Teixeira retire this year, too, who was a notorious Orioles, you know, hate target uh, at Camden Yards. I mean, I know both of us had booed him uh, incessantly in the past at, at Camden Yards. And A-Rod also retiring. We're losing a lot as far as people that we can throw hate at. Yes. Um. So, yeah. I, I, I want to know who will be the next public enemy number one in Birdland. Uh, so I've got a couple of, of candidates. I'm sure. curious if you have anybody. So the first one that I wanted to throw out there was your Ventura of the Royals. Okay. Do, I, does I, he qualify? I think he, he qualifies, but I think he's the best in honorable mention. He, I don't think he can be number one, mainly because you would only see him maybe once a season. Yeah, so, yeah we don't see him often And you, not, you might not even see him in Camden Yards. I mean, so if you can't see him at a, uh, a significant pace at Camden Yards, I found it really hard to boo him. Like, you can, like, see him on Sports Center and be like, grr, but you don't hate him is the best way to describe it. Like, he doesn't put memories of um distaste in your mind um while being at the park yeah plus the other thing is that if the royals don't continue winning ways i feel like the royals and the orioles don't have enough contact to make that meaningful sure all right so it's probably a little more appropriate to go within the division sure what about mookie betts Mookie Betts, who you want to talk about owning the Orioles yeah. in 2016, has absolutely made himself at home at Camden Yards uh, to the delighted roar of the uh, friendly local crowd and has embarrassed us quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, he definitely has owned the Orioles. But I guess my question is, is he, is he unlikable because of that? I mean, he doesn't hasn't done anything that just makes me want to be like, oh, I hate that way he's acting or... You know, he's just going up there and just hitting the ball a long freaking way. And really, I, I understand that we don't like home runs from the other team, but you kind of need to tip the cap. It's similar to um, when uh, Josh Hamilton hit the uh, three home run game at Canyon Yards and he four. came four. four. I'm sorry, right, four. And he kept he came up and you're just like, oh my gosh, I kind of really want to see what happens with Josh Hamilton. Um, but I, I don't know if I can be mad at Mookie Betts based off of how he acts. I'm sorry. Yeah, I have the same reaction, particularly because, you know, when you look at other guys in the AL East that you don't care for, just as you've alluded to, Betts doesn't really act like that. He just hits the ball. Really, it's like watching Mike Trout. You know, Mike Trout beats you, and you're like, well, that's Mike Trout. You can't really do a whole lot about that. Yeah. All right, so you don't think that Mookie Betts is, is unlikable enough. All right, so um, I'm grasping straws here. How about the um, how about the youth movement and the Yankees? We're going to hate those guys, right? Yeah, I think that um, I think this might be the closest one because you feel to a certain regard like they shouldn't be that good, but they have been that good so far. Now maybe we'll see a, a dovetailing next year by uh, Sanchez and Judge to a certain regard, but. Um, it, it certainly feels like that's the easiest ones to hate, even though there's no reason to get it. Now, I think the easiest way that I'm going to start to hate Aaron, uh, Gary Sanchez is if he starts getting the pitch framing calls that Weeders doesn't get, then I'm going to be like, grr, I don't like you. That's the second grr in this uh, in this segment. Uh, yes. But again, I can't hold him accountable right now. Like I've seen some of the comments from Gary Sanchez uh, about trying to like rally the team and stuff like that, and I can't really feel like I'm that upset with him at this moment. You're taking all the fun out of this, I'm Scott. sorry. Sports are all about directing your ire at the opponent. Who else am I going to hate on? Um, all right. So there's a few people. All right. So I think that you have to be able to hate John Farrell. I'm down with that. 
Yeah, I think you have to be able to hate John Farrell. But again, it's tough just to hate managers. I, you know, it's it's really funny that you say that because I think that the Blue Jays fans detest Buck Showalter, oh, whom, whom is very well-loved here in Baltimore. We've talked to multiple Blue Jays fans about this, and they absolutely hate Buck Showalter. I think that, it, particularly within your own division, you're going to hate the manager of the other four teams. Kevin Cash doesn't, doesn't count. Um, but... That makes me wonder if Farrell doesn't have redeeming qualities that we don't see because we don't spend time watching these post-game interviews. Yeah, that's a possibility, but I'm not buying it. Oh, man. All right, well, if we can't decide who to hate on the outside, I want to flip this around. Sure. I'm going to take off my orange-colored covered glasses and put myself in the shoes of the opposing fan base. Okay. All right? So if you were an if you were a baseball fan from one of the other twenty nine uh, fan bases in, in Major League Baseball, who are the Orioles that you would love to hate on? I would love to hate on Manny Machado. Number one would have to be Manny Machado. Yeah. So here we are on Monday night watching a game that I think is a prime example of this. You're right. Manny Machado has to be number one. Look, don't get me wrong. I like Manny Machado a lot, and I love having the the opportunity to watch Manny Machado play. I love almost every part of his game. Uh, his his majestic moonshots are a thing to behold. His play in the field is is pure wizardry. He is a really enjoyable baseball player to watch. And if that's all I get, then that's probably enough. But I don't love the ego that goes along with it. And I feel like we're seeing more and more of that from Manny Machado. Uh, you know, tonight here on the Twitters, we, <laughs> we talked about some of the grumbling, uh, Andrew Stetka ta- talked about it in a me first standpoint. I mean, do you think that's a fair assessment? I do. I think that Manny would try to look like he had a chip on his shoulder tonight. And, um, after he got hit by Por- Porcello that he was just like, Hey, don't throw at me. You're not supposed to hit me. And it's just like, just take your base and go. And it's just this whole attitude again of, Oh, I need to make a statement here of, you know, I'm better I'm bigger than being being treated like that. It's very Jose Batista-ish is the best way to describe it. And as much as Orioles fans get on Jose Batista for acting in that fashion, I don't understand why Orioles fans wouldn't feel the same way about Manny Machado when he acts in a similar fashion. I have seen David Ortiz get thrown out arguing strike two in an at bat. And if you had to take the twenty-five guys or, or more now that it's September, you had to take the twenty-five guys in the Orioles and said which one is the most likely to get thrown out whining about strike two. I think it would be Manning. Yeah, and and we've we've also dogged him for the fact that he doesn't run very hard, and uh, that's one of those things that I think is an an easy way to to play the game hard right and he just we doesn't we've talked about this before like about some of our fair players and I've talked about saying. Manny Machado should be my favorite player on the Baltimore Orioles. And I really want to return because, again, he literally is the best player on the team. But there's that reservation always in the back of my head of sometimes I just don't like the way he, you know, plays the game or, like, acts during the game. And then there's that aspect of I wonder how long he will be an Oriole because he doesn't play the game like Brooks or Cal did to a certain regard. And it just irks me in the back of my head. Like, I know in the back of my head he's probably the best player since Cal has been on this team. But he doesn't scream Oriole to me for some reason. And it just, it bothers me. I, I can see things in his play that I don't like about other players that I've watched on other teams. Right. 
Right. All right. So so we have uh, we have beaten that dead horse. Who else in this team do you think is is poorly re- uh, reviled by by other other fan bases? So I think Adam Jones is kind of poorly reviled based off of some of his comments that he's made recently, and I think sometimes that people look at him and be like, he talks way too much for for the kind of player that he is. So yeah, I think he's got a lot of swagger. He's got a lot of swagger. So I think Jones is number two, but I think the difference between Machado and Jones is huge. I think Machado is clearly number one. Um, I, I do wonder this, you know, Manny Machado is what, 24? Uh, yeah, 24 now. What kind of, what kind of, uh, player was Adam Jones at 24? Do you think that he was as chippy? Do you think that, that Jones gets more credit from us because, you know, he's a, a more mature veteran at this point? But that's possible. I mean, I, I guess that's possible. Um, I just think Machado has been that way for a long time now. Maybe it's because we've seen him at such a young age. But yeah, I could definitely see maybe it's an age factor. Once again, we talked about that before. But yeah, um, not quite buying. I still think it's something personality related compared to Jones. All right. So if not Jones, who else is on the list? Oh, well, I think Darren O'Day has to be on the list from a Toronto fans aspect of them constantly think that they're he's going head hunting or beaning. Right. Um, so I don't think that's across the entire nation. I just think that is in the Canada uh, province is the best way to describe <laughs> it. Um, but my other person that is not on my, on the list here, but I think it has to be this exactly who we talked about, which is Buck Showalter. I think Buck Showalter gets a lot of gripes from outside fans. And it's the same gripes that we had when we first got Buck Showalter. I wasn't sure about Buck's personality or, you know, I thought he was grumpy and sometimes antagonistic. But, you know, it's been nothing but, you know, exactly the opposite where, you know, he's really, you know, made me fall in love with him in terms of some of his you know verbiage and stuff like that in some of his stories so but i could easily see the outside market looking at it being like that guy's a butt yeah yeah particularly because i I feel like we've probably seen a kinder gentler show walter than the fan bases in texas and in arizona saw uh you know he was described as a control freak and he was described as, as somebody who you know couldn't get out of his own way and and rub people the wrong way and i don't i don't feel like we've seen that at all what about what about chris davis I mean, Chris Davis, particularly in 2013, you couldn't hear anybody Ooh, that's else, a great point. you know, outside of Baltimore talk about him without hearing the word steroids. Yeah. And that's such an easy ball to lob over the fence. I feel like Davis is is right there. I, I think that's a decent one in terms of it's an easy one just to kind of when he hits a home run, I think it's an easy label to throw back onto him. Um, but... Yeah, I, I, yeah, that's fine. He could definitely be on that list. All right, now this is a stretch. It's the last one on my list. Okay. What about Zach Britton? I don't see Zach Britton at all as being hated. You don't think that that people in the AL are getting tired of seeing Zach Britton with his I'm going to hold my chin up with my glove thing and then strike you out on ridiculous pitches that no human being should be able to throw? You don't. You don't think that in tight games – Red Sox fans and Blue Jays fans and the rest of them are so sick of seeing Zach Britton come in and shut the door that there wouldn't be a little dislike there. Mm. I mean, I guess it's possible, but I just don't see it. I'm, I'm sorry. It comes back to, I don't think Zach Britton has pitched long enough to make that happen. All right, fair enough. So that's that's the Orioles side of things. I'm still heartbroken over the fact that I've got nobody to hate. Um, do me a favor, uh, O's fans out there, if you uh, have a great candidate who we've somehow missed for who should be public enemy number one for the Orioles now that we're losing some of our best candidates, uh, go ahead, tweet that to us at Bird's Eye View, B-A-L. Use the hashtag O's Hate Train. That's right. Hashtag O's Hate Train. Let me know who we missed. All right. Let's go on into Fantasy Boss. 
Ooh, hello. Well, isn't this interesting? Glad we didn't tie. All right, so it was an interesting week. So I won Fantasy Boss this week. Um, our category was RBI. Um, I chose Manny Machado. You chose Chris Davis. I won three to two. Um, but Jake, it was actually interesting because you clicked on a wild card this week um, with uh, less than two walks. Uh, you picked uh, correctly with Kevin Gossman. Um, but I also got credit because Wade Miley got a wild card last week by being pulled in the third. So that brings the score to 12 to 11 to one. Uh, and it's definitely getting tight um, down down the stretch is the best way. To Much like it. the Orioles' uh, wild card season that we're watching unfold, yeah. things are things are getting uh, things are getting a little getting tense. A little tense, yeah. All right, so um, we're going to have to pick a new category, and we're definitely kind of squandering for 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 content here. It, it, it was hard because I feel like we've we've done it all at this point, yeah. and so I, I put it out there on Twitter today, and we got a great category. They came to us by way of, of listener and or Twitterer, uh, Derek Brown, who tweets at D Brown. Yo. Uh, so we're going to do this. We're going to do an over under on infield hits. Okay. Last week we saw infield hits galore. Yes. From JJ Hardy. I don't want to talk about a specific player. You want to talk about the I entire team? I want to talk about the entire team infield hits. Now, here's the thing, Scotty. This is a loaded question. It's unfair because I'm going about to I'm about to ask you that and then I ask you for your answer. I'm having difficulty setting the line. Okay. Okay. I'm having difficulty setting the line. I think the line is most appropriate at either two and a half or three and a half. Okay. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I, I think that if we're playing seven games this week, I think we probably should set it for three and a half. All right. So we're going to set it for three and a half, uh, counting the game on Monday. Counting the game on Monday, yes. Right, let's count the game on Monday. Uh, in that case, we'll go three and a half over under four infield hits. Right. Scotty, go for it. You get to actually pick because I won this week, just as an FYI. All right. All right. Now Jake's going to do some really heavy thinking, even though it probably doesn't matter because it's just a sheer guess at this point. Yeah, I'm going to take the uh, I'm going to take the under. All right. I'm glad because I wanted the over really badly. Um. So just kind of random luck here. It's not going to matter. There is no statistic that can equally prove this. This is just random dumb luck here. And this is a perfect Jake English category. And luck is the key word because I'm expecting an ugly series against the uh, the Boston Red Sox. So I don't think much is going to go our way. So we each need to pick a new wild card. Uh, I got burned on the Wade Miley one, uh, the pitcher to get uh, pulled, pulled uh, before three innings. Right. So I need to pick something unfortunate to the um, unfortunate to the pitching staff. I'm going to go with this next pitcher to get tossed next Orioles pitcher to get ejected for some sort of incident on the mound. You realize that could happen tonight. I realize that that could happen on Monday. All right. Um, so who are you going with? I have the uh, I picked it so you get to pick the first player. All right, I'm going with Tommy Hunter. Ooh, Tommy Hunter's a really good one. 
Uh, I am going to go with Abaldo Jimenez. All right. Because of many factors. First, his poor control. Uh, second, because I witnessed a game in which he was thrown out for hitting a member of the Boston Red Sox uh, with no provocation and everyone thought it was crap. So he, I think, is just snake bitten and he will be the next guy to get thrown out. So that's my wild card. All right. So my wild card is going to be um, I need you to pick the next two players uh, that are going to hit home runs in the same inning. So the players that will hit it in the same inning. Yes. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Trumbo and Davis. All right. I'm going to go with uh, Trumbo and Scope. All right. All right. We'll we'll see if that one clicks. All right. Well, with that, I think we've uh, wasted enough time in Fantasy Boss. (laughs) Uh, Let's go ahead and dabble into the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's right. It's time again for the good, the bad, and the ugly. I'm going to go ahead and get started. My good for this week was Brad Brock, and I feel like I haven't said that nearly enough since the All-Star break. But in his four appearances, which came to 3.1 innings, he did this, He did so without giving up a run, at least an earned run. Actually, there were no runs. He had a 224 FIP, so it wasn't all smoke and mirrors. And uh, we'll certainly need the bullpen to come up big over the next 13 games. And if he can be closer to first-half Brad Brock... We're all better off for it. All right. My good for the week has to go to Kevin Gossman. That performance that he put up in Boston against Porcello, going eight innings and giving up no runs, um, absolutely dominant performance. So kudos to uh, Kevin Gossman last week for doing a great, great, great job. Um, An amazing start. Really showing um, really almost ace-like stuff as a pitcher. I hate to say it, but Kevin Gossman was amazing that that night. He was really impressive. And, you know, the thing is is that it looked like one of those games that he threw early in the season where he got zero run support and he would, you know, be a a bad luck loser. And uh, it was nice to see him pull out of that. Yeah. All right, my bad for this week was Adam Jones. And Adam Jones was just ice cold. And he was tied for the lead with the most of-bats over the, the course of the last seven days with 30, and he just had nothing to show for himself. He just didn't do it and uh, it's a really bad time for the captain to disappear but he had a 34 weighted runs created plus and if you want to look at average he was batting 185 he just wasn't doing much for us so uh you know it would be one thing to have a bad week it's another thing to have a bad week at crunch time yeah uh speaking about a week um my bad for the week is going to go to the heart of the order um this goes to Mark Trumbo, Chris Davis, Manny Machado, and Jonathan Scope, who all were between that three to six slot uh, for this week. Trumbo, 99 weighted runs created plus, Davis, 71, Machado, 69, and Jonathan Scope, a meager 38 weighted runs created plus. Nothing going right now in the heart of the order. Um, again, Orioles offense has been sputtering over the past week. They're going to need to get it together um, in the next week if they're going to get that playoff spot. It's as simple as that especially against some really good teams of the Red Sox, the Blue Jays, and a Yankees team that's probably going to want to play spoiler at the end of the season. Yeah, and you know the, the remainder of the schedule was what? The Rays and the Diamondbacks, and they didn't take care of the Rays. Well, yeah, I mean, they didn't, they didn't win three of four, but again, splitting is not bad at this moment. Going, losing three of four would have been 
disastrous, but yuck. Yeah. All right. I'm going to go with ugly. Uh, my ugly goes to the Orioles PR. Uh, and, and they do so because I was just talking a couple weeks ago about hearing the song Glad You Came and having fond memories of, of the 2012 season. No interesting, you know, thank you fan video this year. And I'm kind of disappointed about that. And I, I know that there's probably a, a limit to the number of times you can go back to the well of having the team lip syncing to terrible poppy songs. But, eh. Hasn't stopped up yet. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know about that. So I'm, I'm a little disappointed with the Orioles. I feel like, you know, I feel like there needs to be something in the seventh inning uh, or the eighth inning in between the innings to keep me busy while I'm drinking beer and eating hot dogs. Yeah. This happened like in the third inning or second inning when they played the video. But it was the uh, Jenna Brock um, video. Yeah, and here's the thing: maybe that'll be better received someday in, in nostalgia about uh, you know that that 2016 season. Oh, how much fun was that? But right now, that, that song's not doing it for me. Yeah. All right. So my ugly for the week has to go to Steve Pierce again. What? We're talking about nostalgia, and we were so excited for Steve Pierce to come back to this club and reinvigorate this club and do well against left-handed pitching and hit a change up. And uh, Steve Pierce has let us down again. You say, how many times can you go back to the well? Well, the Orioles went back to that well and it certainly looks like they milked it dry and lost a, I wouldn't say great pitching prospect out of it or catching prospect, but they lost a decent catching prospect. Again, another bullet out of the chamber from the farm system. So Steve Pierce, Gets my ugly for the week. No bueno, Steve. Go back to being who the heck. Are you Are you saying Steve Pierce is ugly because he got hurt? Absolutely. That's brutal. You can't do that. I can do whatever I want. This is a podcast. <laughs> he cannot be blamed for getting hurt. All right. So I, here's my bigger. It's like people that blame Brian Roberts for being hurt. This is my bigger beef. It's not so much with Steve Pierce. It's about the whole Steve Pierce experience. <laughs> There's like some 70s band in there, too, with the Steve Pierce experience, right? I think it has Alan Parsons. Okay. <laughs> but again, it's if you're going to go out and you're going to... Jimi Hendrix experience. Yeah. I was thinking Alan Parsons' project. Sorry. If you're going to go out and get a part-time player like Steve Pierce, who's going to be a platoon role, and you're only going to get, what, we got 15 games out of him, the Orioles failed kind of in their due diligence with their health aspect. If they knew that he had a health condition from the outfield situation, not able to throw it in there, why did they make that move? Why did they make that move? So they either didn't know there was a health problem. They either didn't know it was a health problem, but I have a hard time believing that's the case. Well, I mean, it's not the Padres, so, you know, it could have been. That's true. That's true. <laughs> that's a good point. But, yeah, it's just a really disappointing uh, trade all around. Um, and Steve Pierce also somewhat stole a few at-bats from Hunsu Kim as well, which... Um, not, I know you're a big fan of, of that. Uh, yeah, I'm a huge fan of Steve Pierce stealing about some Hunsu Kim. So hey, my ugly is the whole Steve Pierce situation at that trade deadline. So Steve Pierce, he gets my ugly for the week. Terrible. Terrible. All right. You want to go ahead and um, do you want to go ahead and blow the save this week? Absolutely. All right, I know that I've mentioned uh, my dependence on the radio here in this season now that I've officially cut the cord. And at times, I have complained about some of the personnel that's uh, paired with Joe Angel. But here's the thing. Let's not forget that Joe Angel is a national treasure. He is a lot of fun to listen to. Uh, he's somebody that, that uh, keeps you entertained when the game is going poorly and someone that 
paints a very good picture of of what's going on. But he also has a penchant for really just thrilling calls. And we were treated to one of those on Friday's game. So, Scotty, if you will indulge me, can we just get a little bit of that uh, care of the Orioles radio network? From uh, at Wave It Bye Bye. From at Wave It Bye Bye. That ball is heading for the corner. Now, Matuk is heading for third. He's going to be waved in. Here's the Machado relay, the tag. They got him. They got him. They got him. They got him at the plate. And that's how the ball game ends. The Machado relay. They got him at the plate. And the Orioles in the win column. You like that? Yeah. It, look, it, here's the thing. He has a bunch of great calls under his belt at this point. And there are calls that I can remember. I mean, you remember the, the Chris Dickerson home run? I do. If, the, if a call like that doesn't make you tingle, you will never understand what Oriole magic is. So uh, my blowing the save this week is just a heartfelt appreciation of Joe Angel. Joe Angel is really the best. Fred Manth was the worst, but Joe Angel is the best. It's deep to left field. It's going. It's going. It's caught on the morning track. Don't you love the radio? Brutal. Yeah. Well, it certainly doesn't look like the Red Sox series has started off really well on a Monday night. But, Orioles fans, I tell you this much. If they go 500 the rest of the way, they're getting in the playoffs. It's going to be a really ugly short-term feel for the Orioles, but I think long-term we'll be happy about it. Yes. With that, Baltimore and beyond, I have nothing left for you, so I will bid you all a fond adieu-adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there, drink heavily, and let's go O's. You just want people to stay hydrated. I appreciate that. I do, especially right now.